Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everybody. You know, as we gather here to worship God, we recognize the, the joy of coming before the Lord and the sadness that we all cannot be in the same room together all at the same time. Uh, but we know that the Lord is with us, as you have heard, and we have proclaimed, whether we are here in person or here at home, we welcome you and we say thank you, Lord, that we can worship him this morning. You know, we can still praise God even in the midst of the challenges that we face. And so we invite you to worship God with us today as we continue on this journey through the book of Psalms. You know, to remind you, the Psalms are a special collection of poetry, of songs. Uh, It was Jesus' own hymn book and his prayer book. It was likely part of the regular worship for the ancient Jews and still today for many of our Jewish friends and, of course, for us Christians as well. It's Psalm 100. When you take a look at this, it has this wonderful little heading, a psalm for giving thanks. You know, right now as we wrestle with an economic pandemic and a health pandemic and a cultural pandemic, it would be understandable if giving thanks feels a little difficult right now, right? It feels a little bit hard, maybe even a little insincere. And I've, I've talked with people this past week who are struggling with stress. They're struggling with isolation. They're struggling with worry. They're struggling with sadness. And Psalm 100 invites us to worship God wherever we are. We can offer up to the Lord in worship our struggles with being joyful, <laughs> So as we read this psalm about joy, part of our worship is, God, it's hard for me to be joyful today. That could be part of your worship. Or maybe if you're ready to proclaim to God your great joy and gratitude, amen. But scripture keeps modeling for us. Come as you are to the psalms today, to the Lord today. See, the psalms are teaching us to choose joy in the highs and the lows of life. That's our lives, right? You know, the great German pastor, theologian, and Nazi resistor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this about joy. I think it applies for us today. He says, the joy of God has been through the poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. Therefore, it is indestructible, irrefutable. It does not deny affliction when it is there, but it finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. It does not argue that sin is not grievous, but in that very place of sin is found forgiveness. It looks death in the face, and it is just there that it finds life. See, God is offering us a way to find joy today because God is near. So bring your concerns, bring your losses, bring your pains, and God will point you forward as you find your rest in his grace. And so we're going to take a look at verse 1, Psalm 100. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise, even with mass on, right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. See, Tay's psalm exudes with joy. It explodes with joy. 
It's a picture of God's people celebrating life in God. So let me ask you this. Even before the pandemic, why is joy so elusive to so many people? I've said it before that most Americans' purpose in life can be summed up as buying stuff with money we don't have, with stuff that we don't even need, and it's stuff for people we don't even like, right? The American dream. See, joy is elusive for many, maybe not you, because we try to find joy in things that don't last. But people try to find things in maybe stuff. But you know what happens? Once you finally get that stuff that you thought was going to bring you joy, eventually you get bored. Just look in your garage and you will find many things that you thought would change your life or bring you joy. Just look in a cupboard, right? And if you base your joy on getting that stuff, what happens when you lose that stuff? You get, you get angry, you get depressed. And what happens to those of us who never get the stuff we long for? Bitterness. See, joy is elusive because when we try to base it on things that change instead of the steadfast love of Jesus Christ, oh, we're missing out on what Psalm 100 is teaching us about joy. In the highs of life, in the lows of life, the Bible, the Psalms, teach us to choose joy. It's not just mere happiness, but joy. You see, God often asks us for us to let go of the very good things he's given us. Good things, he says, to let go of. To let go of trying to control our our bodies completely, our jobs, our relationships, even our giftedness. Because when we turn good things into ultimate things, they become idols. And so God is even asking us to let go of good things. Because he wants to give us unending, everlasting joy. See, God's joy isn't dependent on if you gained weight or lost weight during the coronavirus shutdown. It isn't dependent on if you're married or single, or it doesn't matter if your favorite sports team is going to be playing or not. See, God offers a joy that is independent of how big your bank account is. Amen. How you did in the stock market recently. Amen. What your doctor even says about your health outlook. God offers a joy that is bigger than that. It doesn't ignore it, but in the highs of life and the lows of life, God offers joy, and the Psalms are teaching us how. Because God wants you to be free of despair as we face the realities of life. We're not avoiding them, but free from the despair when we have those lows, and free actually from arrogance when you're having a great high in your life. God wants you to be free, to have joy, that isn't dependent on your circumstances. You see, Psalm 100 gives us this picture of joy that isn't dependent on your accumulations or your losses. A picture of joy that isn't dependent on your circumstances. It's a joy that's fully dependent on him. So how does joy like this enter into our lives? How do we get that kind of joy? See, God is always asking us for that thing in our grip to open our hands, to make space for him. 
Will you make space this morning to be open to him and his ways wherever you are in life? He wants something for us that is better, something unlosable, something that lasts. Do you have this unlosable joy from God that Psalm 100 depicts? So let me tell you how you can find it. We're going to take a look at Psalm 100 a little more deeply. Look at verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. See, we simply belong to God by His Grace. That's the tone of Psalm 100, verse 3. We're his. It's a proclamation. You didn't earn it. You didn't win your way into the lottery. Simply by his grace, you belong to him. And then verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. I want you to note thanksgiving resonates in Psalm 100. This thanksgiving, because we belong to him. It's thanksgiving because of God's grace. And then verse five, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generation. And see, I think verse five emphasizes this grace. Do you sense it in there? Steadfast love enduring forever. Oh man, that is a love that is not dependent on you. Good news. It's not dependent on your circumstances. It's all dependent on God's steadfast love that endures how long? Forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Oh, this God will not give up. When he claims you as his, you belong to him. That is a reason for thanksgiving and joy. It's not because we deserve it. Psalm 100 paints a picture of a life buoyed by gratitude, a joy that stems from this gratitude. For what? For God's grace in our lives. Grace, gratitude, and joy. You can see that in Psalm 100. And in fact, you'll notice in the New Testament a connection between those three very things. In fact, the word for gratitude, eucharistia, has its roots in it, its roots for the word joy, which is kara, and the word for grace, charis or charis. They're all interconnected words in the New Testament. So the Bible, when we read it, it tells you how to be joyful, whether you read Psalm 100 or you look at the New Testament accounts. The interconnectedness of grace Gratitude and joy is not just linguistic. It is deeply theological as well. See, how does the Bible tell you how to become joyful? Well, it tells you this. You relish in the grace of God, that you are loved with a steadfast love that will never fade regardless of your performance. That means you are his, period. It begins with God's grace, and it never fades. And because of that reality, that leads to gratitude. Why? Because I've been given and gifted grace. The gratitude, the Eucharistia, is based in the grace, the charis. It's a gratitude that overflows from the reality of grace, unearned love. And then joy explodes and is experienced as an overflow of that gratitude, the joy, the kara, 
is an overflow from the Eucharistia and the charis. Grace, gratitude, joy. It's echoed in the New Testament. It's echoed in Psalm 100 right here. It's all interconnected. Because when you focus on God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ, you feel gratitude in your heart toward the giver of the gift. And then you experience a kind of joy that is irreducible. That means no one can take it away. It will never simmer down. Irreducible. Regardless of your circumstances. Whether you're in the lowest of the lows right now, or whether you think that you walk on water. Oh no, God's grace, the joy, is independent of that. It's based on the grace and the gratitude that results in a joy. It's good news because that's the equation the Bible gives for joy. And that's what Psalm 100, I believe, is hinting at, this New Testament connection of grace, gratitude, and joy. See, last week on Father's Day, I was blessed by a gift from my family of a pull-up bar. You know those you put in your door? I don't know if it was some kind of hint. You know, I needed to be doing something, but that was the, the gift, and I wanted it, right? Now, but the best gift I got, of course, was when my daughters told me that night that even though I should probably do some more pull-ups, that you are the best papa in the whole universe. Now, they tell me that every night. And I know it could get old, but it never really does. And here's why. It is completely undeserved. It is, a, it is a completely undeserved statement that I'm the best papa in the universe. It is co completely undeserved. I can give you example after example after example how that might not even be true at all. It's completely undeserved. I fall short every day. But here's the thing. Gratitude rises in direct proportion to how unexpected and especially how undeserved a, a gift is. Does that make sense? The less deserved the gift is, the more gratitude. Because I didn't earn it. So let me give you an example. Go to your bank. Okay, next time you go to your bank where your money is stored, take out 20 bucks and go to the to teller, go to the window with someone there, and when you get your $20, I want you to be exceedingly happy. Like, thank them profusely. Thank you so much for that $20. Thank you. This means so much to me. I want you to thank them profusely, and I want you to look at their face. When they start looking at you, and they start slowly pulling up that phone underneath or push that button underneath, they're going to think you've lost it. Why? Well, the bank system is really an exchange of goods and services, right? It's your money. This is an exchange, an agreement. You probably signed some papers, right? You see, you should be more grateful when someone on the street stops you and says, here, here's $20, just because. That's when you should be grateful because the gift is completely undeserved. Not your bank, where... <laughs> where you're basically letting them gain interest on your money. Do you know how the whole system works, right? You're helping them. You think profusely the more undeserved the gift is. That random person on the street who says, you look nice today, right? That act of kindness. Oh, that's when gratitude 
overflows. The more undeserved the gift is, the more gratitude you experience. And the Bible says this, you can't have joy without gratitude. Listen to that. You can't have joy without gratitude. Period. You can't grow gratitude unless you know God's grace. That's the secret to joy. Not based on your lows, not based on your highs, but the unlosable, unchangeable grace of God. And as you reflect on that reality right now, gratitude, oh, it's so undeserved. And then you have a path to joy. Overflowing gratitude. See, I've been challenging you to pray. What Pastor Luke talked about, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and stretch me, O God. And perhaps God has pointed out to you your failed attempts the past several weeks to try to earn God's favor. Because when you pray that daring prayer, search me, God, and stretch me, God, oh, guess what he's going to show you? All of your attempts to earn God's favor, all your attempts to try to seize joy by earning it somehow. Maybe God is showing us that we're grasping onto an illusion of control. Maybe three months of quarantine has shown you that. Illusions of control, which has given you a false joy. And God's like, oh, I want you to have the real thing. An illusion of control with our bank accounts or our resumes or trying to earn God's favor through our success. See, but in Christ, you are not only already liked, you are accepted. You belong to God already. That's what Psalm 100 says. You have God's grace. See, some of us work so hard to get people to love us that we miss out on God's love. That's already there. Regardless of what we produce or how we perform, God's love is already there. And if we aren't daily aware of God's present and potent grace, you will try to find your value from things like your reputation or your performance that you were never meant to rest your identity in. See, verse 3 says, It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. That means that you belong to Him already. That is your identity. Rest in that grace. Let that overflow to gratitude and find joy as you rest in it. Let me ask you, have you invited God to search you for patterns that keep you from his grace, that keep you from realizing the reality of his grace that's already there? Maybe you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and you haven't invited the gift of grace into your life. Oh, today could be the day that you would say yes to God's grace. Have you surrendered your life to the good shepherd? See, it's more than just saying a prayer. It is your whole life receiving his grace, your whole life filled with gratitude, your whole life finding joy like Bonhoeffer in the lowest of the lows and in the highest of the highs because God's grace is never far away. Again, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the people of his pasture. See, this means God cares for us, but it also means that the good shepherd goes after the lost, right? Remember Jesus and his story? 
the 99 that he left to go after the one sheep. And it's a reminder for us today, as, as we have in Psalm 100, this reminder of God as shepherd, that because God is shepherd and we are his sheep, that like Jesus, when he goes after the one, we, the 99, shouldn't be complaining about Jesus going after the one. We should be cheering him on, celebrating the good shepherd going after the one. And the 99 offering to help because we are his sheep resting in his grace with gratitude, with joy. We want to join Jesus on the search, right? It is he who made us because when one part of the body is hurting, the whole body hurts. Paul, the apostle reminds us, it is he who made us, not just me. We, the sheep of his pasture, See, everything we have belongs to God. We are his. Everything we have belongs to him. We will give an accounting for God for what we've done while this, on this earth. It doesn't mean our salvation is at stake, but we will face God and he will ask us to give an accounting. What'd you do with all the gifts I gave you? Did you use them to bless others, to worship me, to love God and love neighbor? We will give an accounting. Our salvation may not be in danger for all our shortcomings, but God will still have, ask us to give an account. God's grace is not an excuse for our inaction. You see how grace, gratitude, and joy leads to a life of worship and service. Actually, worship and service have interchangeable meanings in the Bible often. That's another sermon. <laughs> our worship of God is our service to God as well. God's grace is not an excuse for our inaction. Our lives are to resemble the one we belong to. I want to show you a short video, an interview with Sister Martha Henry. She wants to thank CPC for all of our support, but I want to give you a picture of a joyful Amen. person well, in the in Lord ways, who Martha, offers her life to worship. Um, but I know you as a new friend. Uh, you're a teacher in Seaside. Uh, you're a fierce advocate for those in need and a joyful sister in the Lord. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Pastor Tim. I feel the same way about you and about my <laughs> brothers and sisters at Carmel Press. I love you all. Oh, you are so kind. You know, our text today is Psalm 100. So the, honestly, when I think of Psalm 100, I think of Martha Henry, joyful <laughs> praise. I think of it. <sighs> Well, when I hear that, I think about you all. And, you know, we're never far apart. Whenever I think about Carmel Press, I don't think about it as being another church. I always think of it as being, oh, those are my brothers and sisters in a different city, oh, but in the same body, the body of Christ. Amen. Well, hey, I just want to have you share, share us with us about the food ministry that you've been doing. Just tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Well, you know, I think that this is just a continuation of this fellowship that we've had for years. I think maybe this is about our 11th year of being together. My students continued journaling online. So they kept an online journal. So then one day, and I read every single thing they write, so one of my students wrote in his journal that, uh, you know, he gets up, he 
eats breakfast, he does his homework, but sometimes they miss lunch because they don't, they're trying to conserve food. And so on the days that they miss lunch, their mom gives them a vitamin. So when I read that, and I shared that with Sister Amy, and then she shared that with some of her students, not with the, the name, of course. And when her students realized that some of my students, their pen pals were hungry, they decided to do something. And so one student in particular, Nathan, for his bat mitzvah, he decided to do a food drive at Stevenson School. And so he collected food and then uh, his family would bring the food over to my house and then I would deliver it to the families of my students who, you know, who needed food. Mm -hmm. um, another student said that when they don't have food, they have water and um, maybe bread. Mm. And so um, that's how it started. And then it just snowballed from there. Then Sister Amy told other people at Carmel Press about the drive and what she was doing. And then Sister Rachel and her team got involved and they actually cook meals. And every single Wednesday, they've been very faithful they deliver meals to families here in Seaside uh, who are in need. And yeah, Sister Rachel, and then they have their team of drivers, Sister Donna, and, <laughs> and what I love is when they deliver the meals, they're so gracious and so friendly. And you can just tell that the spirit of God is, is all, over, all over them. So I, I really appreciate that that they do it uh, with such um, love and such care yeah. for the spirit. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, of Christ. That's what it's all about. But it's amen. us working together. Amen, amen. <laughs> well, with that, I would love to say thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you and hearing more from you this week. So God bless you, Martha. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna see you so very soon. God bless. I can't wait to see you in person, Pastor Tim. Oh yeah. I love you already, but I need to see you in person. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. All right, you take care. Uh, bye brothers and sisters at Carmel. <laughs> love you. You know, Psalm 100 verse two says, serve the Lord with gladness. See, it's not just serving inside the walls of the church. It is serving him outside to those in need as well. When I think about Psalm 100, I think about Martha Henry. I think about her knowing God's grace and that gratitude overflowing in her heart and that joy and that results in a life of serving those in need, the gospel in action. I love it. Grateful Praise is not just our words, it's our life as well. I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful that she calls CPC her friends, her brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I'm grateful uh, that she recognizes God's goodness and serving God with gladness. She does it every single day as you have been providing the food, keep bringing it every week, and she is telling people about Jesus, and she's actually telling people about CPC as well. She tells people, this is from CPC, this is from CPC, and God is getting glorified outside the walls of this church because of your help. You see, we get the privilege of blessing others through Martha when we donate canned goods. Isn't that a joy? Grace, gratitude, and joy. The Apostle Paul says to us Christians, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You see, as Martha and I have become friends, she's helped me pay more attention to the heartfelt cries, not only of her community, but our black brothers and sisters right now. And as our friendship has grown, oh, I'm listening and she's helping me learn. Because our black brothers and sisters are fellow sheep of the shepherd, right? And when one part is hurting, we all should be hurting. And they're inviting us into right now to join them, to come alongside, to suffer with, and also to take action as co-laborers in Christ, as fellow sheep of the same shepherd. And because Martha is my friend and your friend, I want to invite you to serve her and also to listen to her as she shares with us this Wednesday in our patio chat on racial issues and the gospel. Because she's a sister in Christ, because we care about our fellow sheep. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer battled the Nazi regime with his preaching And he secretly helped both Jews and Germans escape the brutality of the Nazi regime. He was arrested and taken to prison, where he would be executed just weeks away from Germany surrendering. Yet amidst prison, amidst persecution, and he had no prospect for deliverance, Bonhoeffer, it is noted, continued to lean on the truth of Psalm 100, verse 5, which says this, For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, a few weeks before his execution, he wrote this poem called, Who Am I? In it, he speculated who people might say he is, what his friends and his captors would say and finally say, and also what he believed about himself. And in this poem, Who Am I?, he concludes this. Am I then really all that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I know of myself? Who am I? This or the other? One person today and tomorrow another. And then he says, Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. I am yours. I belong to you in life And in death, in the lowest of lows and the highest of highs, your grace and gratitude and joy, may it mark my life until I see you face to face. His identity was found in being his. I am thine. I belong to you. You made me. Everything belongs to you. My voice, my resources, my attitude. He had an unshakable joy. I want to have joy like Bonhoeffer, who facing death could rest secure in God's steadfast love. 
Say, I want to be like Bonhoeffer, who helped Jews escape death camps. And he could give thanks to God for every precious life saved, even though thousands of lives he couldn't save. But for everyone, he still found a reason to give God praise. This Bonhoeffer, who helped Jews escape death camps and could give thanks to God. I want to be like him. I'm going to live into the life of Psalm 100 like Bonhoeffer, who could see the worst of racism, the worst of wars, the worst of false Christianity, the worst of hopelessness, and could still praise God weeks before his death. I want to have joy like that. Don't you? I want to be able to praise God for his steadfast love, even as I face the worst even as I join others who are struggling, terrible circumstances. It's not a fake joy. It's not a superficial joy. It goes down deep. God's grace, gratitude, and his joy. Do you need to experience that kind of joy? Like what Psalm 100 says, like Bonhoeffer had? I know I do. And I want that for you as well. A joy that finds its source in God's goodness and not on our circumstances. See, if you want a life of joy, you need to cultivate gratitude. If you want true gratitude, you need to recognize the undeserved gift of grace that comes from Jesus Christ on the cross, arms wide and bleeding out and saying, I want you to belong to me. I'm doing this all so that you could have my grace. His love is the only love you can never earn. And therefore, it's the only love you can never lose. This God that we have been worshiping and learning about the past several weeks through the Psalms, he is here and looking at you right now with great love in his heart. Oh, that should do something to you. Do you know what brings God joy? I think as you look at the totality of the Bible, I think we see God's joy connecting with your joy. Oh, he wants to see you securely in his grace. He wants you to relish in the fact, have gratitude in your heart that you are secure. He wants to see you have a life of joy in the highs and lows of life. Because your God is perfectly good, he's always inclined towards what is best for you. Do you believe that? doesn't mean what feels good to you, but what's best for you. It's a big difference, right? What's best for you. Psalm 100 says we are his. This is a great gift. And when we understand it, we are set free from serving ourselves. And we find true joy, true joy from him as we are set free from serving self and serving him instead and serving others because of his gift of grace. We are his. It all belongs to him. He knows you better than you know yourself. Soak up his grace and be grateful for this God and choose joy. See, joyful praise is not just for the white church or the black church or the Asian church or the Latino church. Psalm 100 verse 1 says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, not just a certain group of people. I love it. All the earth means all the nations. It points to Revelation 7, 9, when every color, every creed, every language will bow down and worship to Jesus. I love how 
Revelation paints the picture. After this, I looked, John says, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. You see, friends, this is the destination of our lives. Eternally praising, worshiping, giving thanks to the God of all the nations, the God of every people, the God of every color, every tribe, and every culture. Psalm 100 is the warm-up act for what we will be doing for eternity. And so, fellow sheep of the shepherd, can we recognize our good shepherd who's probably asking us to praise him inside the walls but follow him outside and be part of the warm-up act, pointing to a day when all of God's people will be worshiping him in freedom and fullness when God's justice is finally known in full that day. And so, friends, until he returns, amidst every hard circumstance, let's embrace God's grace. Let's choose gratitude and be filled with joy because of him. Let's pray. King Jesus, we get just a tiny glimpse of what you read in Psalm 100. You knew that you would lay down your life so that we could have your grace, so that we could have gratitude, so we could have an unlosable joy. Oh, Jesus, as we memorize your scripture and meditate on your good word, we want to love you and love neighbor. Would you continue to show us what it looks like to follow you in every circumstance, to worship you, and yes, in the midst of painful, painful things, to choose joy. Oh, Lord, may that that not be trite words, but a sincere prayer of ours, Lord. And I pray for those who are especially hurting right now, that they would not hear those words as condemning, but they would hear your grace in the midst of the sadness, your grace in the midst of the struggle. Oh, the grace in the midst of them not being able to experience that joy. Oh, Lord, may they sense your gracious and merciful gaze upon them right now. I ask in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.